You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. It's Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is September 1st, and last night, Atlanta United was defeated by Philadelphia 4-1 to at Subaru Park in beautiful Chester, Pennsylvania. The stadium was probably the highlight of the game. It's a beautiful place to go. I wish I were there, but I am still, unfortunately, having to quarantine because of the COVIDs. Um, I haven't felt sick. Haven't had a fever. All I've got is a stupid dry cough. But that's how it is. Um, so the game. Let's talk about the game for a few minutes. So there's really not a whole lot to talk about. Atlanta United was beaten 4-1. to one. This was a chance for a signature win for manager Gonzalo Pineda. A chance to really build some confidence going into these final few games. A chance to get three points and move above the playoff line. And Atlanta United played well for 45 minutes. Outplayed Philadelphia, you could argue. But then... In the third minute of first half stoppage time, the team allowed a set-piece goal. It's 12th this season. Went into the locker room, came back, second half, didn't really compete. Philadelphia put on two more goals. Daniel Gazdag and Harriel, both mistakes by Atlanta United. All four goals were mistakes by Atlanta United, which is kind of the theme for the season. I tweeted out last night from Doug Robertson, AJC, that it's the second storyline of the season. The first, of course, being all the injuries that the team has experienced. We could go through the stats, but I don't really see the point going through the stats. Uh, four to one. It was what it was. The team somehow is still only three points out of a playoff spot. It now goes to Providence Park in Portland, my favorite stadium in MLS. One of my favorite cities in Major League Soccer. I will not be there. I'm supposed to go see some friends in Raleigh for a Labor Day weekend of golfing and perhaps drinking beer but I've got to test positive first. And I have not tested myself today because I don't want to be disappointed before I can get onto a plane tomorrow. So we're going to go through some audio from manager Gonzalo Pineda, Andrew Gutman, who scored Atlanta United's only goal, his third this season, and Alan Franco. We're going to go to a break. We're going to come back and you're going to get to hear from former Atlanta United player, Jake Mulraney, now with Orlando. And the Lions, of course, are going to play for the U.S. Open Cup final against Sacramento. And he'll talk about his time with Atlanta United, his time with Orlando, things like that. I always like talking to Jake. He's a pretty funny dude. We'll go to another break and then we'll come back with the mailbag. And y'all asked a lot of questions. You typically do uh, for bad losses. Uh, and last night's was a bad loss. Uh, so I appreciate y'all taking the time. Some of you used the voicemail. Some of you used 
direct message on Twitter, and some of you email me. So I appreciate all those things. Let's go into the audio. Here is Sam Jones asked most of these questions. Sam got to travel to Philadelphia and asked some good questions. And the first was after Rocco Rios Novos could be blamed for, if you want to use the word blame, be held responsible for two of the four goals. Sam asked why Raul Godinho has yet to play. Well, because uh, I felt that uh, Rocco was doing a good job. Uh, I think uh, he helped in the way we want to play. Uh, but obviously the same is a bit the consistency that I've been talking a lot about trying to be consistent and uh, many reasons, but uh, uh, Raul is training good and uh, well, we'll see what happens. That was not exactly a vote of confidence for Rios Novo. I think it would be hard to give him one after last night's performance. And then Pineda shared his thoughts on the match. I felt that we played better than them in the first half. I have to control my emotions in this moment because I'm very upset at the guy making the calls tonight, the referee. I'm very upset at him, very. And uh, I have to control a little bit my emotions because I felt that that had a big impact in today's game. Big impact, uh, not by one specific play, but in general has some tendency to, to disrupt our play. So. I have to control a little bit that because I feel like the first half was very good and a couple bad decisions led into certain things that I didn't like. So I have to control a little bit that. I have to check the film. But there were very specific plays that I felt like we were punished. And because of that, we concede the first goal comes from a clear foul on Ronald. Very clear. Very clear. He calls the other way. The goal comes from there. And a lot of different actions where he was not consistent at all. So I'm very upset at that because I felt that we did a great job in the first half. But so we didn't deserve to be losing at halftime. And after that, probably the second half wasn't great. But uh, I felt that the first half we should have been going, uh, winning. And that didn't happen. And then probably the, the beginning of the second half uh, wasn't as expected. We could see a, a goal that was a sub goal and then the third one the same the fourth so that's what happened uh tonight so i do agree with Pineda that atlanta united probably didn't deserve to be losing at halftime i do agree with him that the officiating wasn't great notably early in the game brooks lennon played in a, a long diagonal over two of philadelphia's lines it's midfield and and back line luis arahujo went for it Philadelphia goalie Andre Blake came about 20, 22 yards out of his box in an attempt to cut off the pass. Blake totally missed the ball, slammed into Arahujo. No foul was called. If Blake were wearing a regular kit and not a goalkeeper kit, that could have been a yellow, possibly denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, red, no foul was called, and Philadelphia was given the ball. It was it was just a bizarre play. I don't know what foul Pineda is talking about on Cisneros that resulted in Philadelphia's first goal, but I do know the officiating was just a little bit squirrely. I wasn't at all familiar with this referee, but this is what it comes down to. The team allowed four goals. None of them were penalty kicks. All four of them were soft. That's what defined the game. Here's Pineda talking about Atlanta United being the better team for most of the game. Well, I think that's where I disagree a little bit because the first half, I think we did a great job, a great job, uh, creating chances, 
not allowing many opportunities besides set pieces. Uh, I think we were in total control of the game. Uh, we create more and better chances in the first half, even them scoring two goals. They had a very low expected goals in the first half. We had uh, one plus uh, expected goals, and they were half of it. So we created a lot of the better chances by playing, uh, disrupting their pressure. And I think like we were in total control of the game. Uh, and uh, the second half probably, yes, that softball killed a little bit the momentum we had. The, the third goal killed us a little bit mentally probably. Uh, and that's what went bad because again, goals change uh, games. I felt that we couldn't uh, be clinical after creating a lot of chances and good chances, we were not cl clinical enough to, to you know, have some momentum, winning the game, winning, uh, being winning the game, and then we control a bit more the tempo, and, and that didn't happen today. So uh, what we should have done better is to score those goals in those chances that we created in the first half, not conceding the, the third goal that for me was very soft. And then I think that was the story of the game after that, I felt that, yes, they were more in control. Probably you are uh, remembering only the last part of the game after the third goal, but before that, for me, we were better. Yeah, um, we've heard this before many, many times. And what it comes down to, again, is the team gave up four goals, including another set-piece goal. It's um, navel-gazing to use a, a phrase that a coworker of mine once used quite often. And, and it seems like this is kind of a perfect example of navel gazing. Here's Pineda talking about the progression of the team. We work very well in many things, in many areas, but probably the results are not coming and that's the issue. But uh, I see the progression of the team. I see that they fight, they compete. Uh, and uh, just, again, I think we need to, to be more clinical in both boxes. That's that's what we need, and we haven't done that. So, uh, what we need is is just probably a bit more confidence, maybe, to really be solid defensively, and then uh, just be clinical. I think we're we're missing those those two very important parts. Yep, I agree with him about you do see the fight, but we've heard the talk about being clinical now for twenty something games, and it's not happening. I couldn't tell you why it's not happening, but it's not. So here's a long answer uh, to a question I was able to ask Pineda on whether he thought last night's goals were soft. Yes, yes. I feel like, uh, I mean, the first one comes from, from again, I have to say it, uh, from a clear foul on Ronaldo that, again, that happened in multiple occasions where we were punished in, in, on that side, on, on those goals that... Uh, we were ahead, we, but we were not getting the fouls. There were another clear fouls. I have to rewatch the play where Luis is uh, on top of the box and Blake literally smashes him. Uh, I have to see if that was actually a foul or not. Uh, but for me, at least, we should have got the ball, but after that, they even get the ball. So little things like that, we got a yellow for kicking the ball away, but when they did that in the first half, uh, uh, in the corner, they didn't get the yellow card. So little things like that and the fouls that we don't get, but they get with a lot of inconsistency in the way you referee, I think that when you are facing a very good opponent like them, uh, that changes, especially in the first goal. We can see that goal when we were dominating completely Philadelphia. Uh, and that that obviously affected us. 
so the balance was there, the balance of the team. We, we didn't concede big chances in the first half, aside for the first goal that was a shot from top of the box. I felt that, obviously, yes, that I call that a soft goal. But that balance that I, I made reference is it wasn't there because of that lack of you know, uh, consistency in both boxes. We are, we are considering uh, soft balls and we need to fix that. And, and, but again, for me, the way we are going to fix that is, is through the ball, through possession, through being better offensively and scoring more goals. And uh, I mean, if we create a lot of chances, but we score those goals, I, I think we can control better the, the tempo of the games. And it have, have happened multiple times, like Columbus game, the same, we're dominating, but we are not scoring the goals that, that we produce. And then, you know, suddenly we are losing the game. And the same happened in, in multiple games that, uh, so we need to fix that. We need to fix that, but through our style, which is attacking and trying to be more solid uh, on the back. I, I don't know what to say about that anymore. It seems fairly evident to me that the team or this collection of players isn't able to execute what Pineda wants them to do. They can fight. They do fight. But in terms of executing the tactics, I, I don't know why. Uh, but they just don't seem capable. And we're going to get into a little bit of that when we get into the mailbag here in a minute. But I think it's like four of the past five or five out of the past six goals are scored by defenders for Atlanta United when there is more than $30, $40 million of attacking talent paid for. And the goals are coming from set pieces or broken plays. So here's Andrew Gutman sharing his thoughts on the game. I mean, I don't think it was a 4-1 game, to be honest. Um you know, a couple of plays, they they capitalized on us. You know, maybe the second goal right before half was a little bit lucky with the deflection. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I thought we were creating chances. We were controlling the tempo and, you know, just a bit unlucky and, you know, a bit unfortunate in terms of not being locked in 90 minutes. And I need to also point out that Brooks Lennon cleared a, a goal off the line uh, scored by Philadelphia in the first half. I thought that um, two Players for Philadelphia were offside on the play, but the flag never went up for some bizarre reason. So here's Andrew Gutman talking about how, well, the team's mentality in tough moments. Speak for everyone else, but I, I feel like sometimes we just mentally aren't, aren't strong enough to, to push through those tough moments. You know, I think Philadelphia's, you know, they're a fantastic team, but it's also one of the hardest places to play. The fans are right on top of you. They're loud. The, the atmosphere is incredible. And, you know, I just think that we need to go into games sometimes knowing that that's going to be another thing we have to overcome. Um, you know, and tonight I actually thought we we handled it pretty well. I thought we controlled the game, like I said, and we were creating chances. It, it, it's just, you know, sometimes we just, you know, we're possession-based teams, and if we're not sharp, then we get nicked, and, you know, they just they just killed us in transition a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it may not have felt like it was 4-1, to one, but it was 4-1. to one. And here's Gutman talking about the team and its place in the standings after last night's results. It is in 11th. It is three points behind Miami. Columbus now will not be caught. They're in six with 39 points. In between Atlanta and Miami are Toronto, New England, and Cincinnati. Charlotte is one point behind Atlanta. Chicago is two points behind Atlanta. And DC, which won last night, is eight points behind Atlanta. It's been a it's been a weird season for me. I think we're one of the most talented teams in the league. I don't I don't like where we are in our you know in the standings. I don't believe we should be there. I think you know 
we should be right up there with, with Philadelphia. Um, you know, and, and for me, it's just, yeah, it's a bit frustrating because I know the potential in this team. I know the quality we have. I know, I know the type of players and, you know, just overall good guys in the locker room we have. And it, and it hurts me to just see them not be in a position that I believe we should be in. Here's Alan Franco on why the team continues to concede goals like it did tonight. Well, in recent games, we've, uh, we've been having problems with uh, balls in the air from set pieces. Uh, it's something we realize and, and we've been working a lot on. Um, but, you know, tomorrow we, we just all have to stay together uh, and continue to work on, on those mistakes. And here's me asking Franco on if it hasn't been fixed yet, how will it get fixed in these final few games? I think, as I said, we, we just have to continue working hard on it, uh, which is what we're going to do. Um, you know, we, we realize we, we've made those mistakes, but uh, the only thing we can do is, is continue to work at it. Um, and we have to, um, you know, as a team, we, we just hope that we have um, better luck in those, uh, those kind of moments. But also we know we need to score goals and, um, and be able to stop allowing those kind of goals. So uh, we think if we can do that, we can turn it around. All right, we're going to go to our first break. And when we come back, you're going to hear from Jake Mulraney. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. All right, everybody, I'm talking with Jake Mulraney former Atlanta United player, now a standout with Orlando City, who came from behind to beat Seattle 3-2 last night. And their next game is arguably the most important in franchise history. The Lions are going to host Sacramento in the finals of the U.S. Open Cup. The winner gets a spot in the Champions League next year, which is another huge feather in the cap for Orlando as it goes for its first major piece of silverware. Jake, how's the time going so far in Orlando City? Yeah, it's been good, Doug. It's been really good. Um, it's it's been tough to adjust to the heat. Um, even though Atlanta's pretty hot, I feel like Orlando's just a, a step a step higher in terms of heat. It's crazy, but um, it's been it's been good. I've I've been um, I've been learning a lot from the coach and um, from his style of play and stuff like that. So I've I've enjoyed it. So with Atlanta United, Jake had 47 appearances, including 22 starts. With Orlando City, he's got nine starts and 14 appearances. What are you doing well, do you think, with Orlando City right now? Um, I don't know, though, to be honest. I mean, I feel like um, how I play, I like to, to deliver crosses into the box. I really like to just sometimes touching width into an area. Um, and I feel like sometimes 
we don't do that a lot here in Orlando, so I feel like I kind of offer that um, mm-hmm. to the team. So, I mean, maybe the coach likes that in a way. It's a different option than playing. But um, I don't know. I mean, I've just, I've, I've just, I don't know. I just, um, it's just been easier to play here. You know, okay. um, it's it's been a lot easier. It seems like get you're getting the, it, yeah. the the starts and the minutes that you you wanted that you weren't able to get uh, with Atlanta United. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's that's a fair assumption. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta. I always knew that it was going to be tough to play. You know, considering the talent that Atlanta have. You know, you've always got to back yourself, of course. And I did, but um, I felt like realistically, it was probably a good thing that we moved away in order to get more to get more minutes mm-hmm. so how excited is the team now that you've gotten through that final game for this u.s open cup yeah i mean it's massive it's massive i mean we've been speaking about it ever ever since we we uh, won the semi-final um it's the biggest game i think in the club's history if i'm being honest i feel like it's first chance to win some silverware I'm just, I'm just gutted that I'm cup tied. Um, I'm not sure if it goes down on my resume if we win it or not. I'm not sure, but I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping that uh, we can get the win. You know, I'm really hoping for it for for Oscar as well. I feel really like he deserves it. He's, he's, um, he's a great coach and a and a great human being. So I'm hoping for him and the team that we can get, we can get that win. I know Orlando City supporters, if there are any listening to this podcast, won't believe me when I say this because we have a long checkered history, but I am happy for Orlando City as well. I think MLS <laughs> is better when Orlando is competing for trophies because their supporters are so passionate. Um, I think yeah. sometimes that passion is a bit misguided, um, but they are passionate. It's a good thing. And they've they've you know been around now for a while. And I think it's cool that they're going to get to be there for the first trophy. That game is going to be on September 7th, 8 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. If y'all want to watch that, September 7th is also my sister's birthday. So that would oh, be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you said you 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 enjoy playing for uh, Pareja. What is it you like about him? Is it is it his communication? Is it his tactics? What are you what are you appreciating? I don't know, Doug. It's hard one to put your finger on. It's the left wing role here is very different. Like me and Oscar have spoken about it. It's it's kind of different because the way we play, sometimes we build out with a tree. So um the left wing role is kind of like it's a little bit different. Um but I just like Oscar's presence. I don't know, it's a weird one. It's it's you know, you meet them sort of people and they just have a presence about them. Um I feel like I just really don't want to let him down. It's weird. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but he's a he's a good guy, man. He's he's a really good guy, and he's a, a good coach, and we've got really good staff here. You know, I feel like there's a real togetherness in the team, and I feel like he has a massive impact on that. Um, like before every game, it's like we're going out to fight in the Coliseum or something. Dog, it's crazy. <laughs> it's everyone's banging the. Everyone banging the uh, change room and everyone screaming, getting everyone up for it. Something that I didn't really experience in Atlanta, if I'm being honest. That yeah, kind of yeah. proper, proper togetherness that we're all in it, you know. Hmm. I would arguably say that Atlanta probably has one of the best or most talented teams in the league. I feel like people who understand football 
when they watch Atlanta will 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 know that. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like it's evident that I feel like the together. I don't know. It's just something's not there. You know, like mm-hmm. that little togetherness or something. Um, no, I agree. It's it's more of like a collection of players than a team. It, yeah, it you looks could, like you could say that. Yeah, you could say that. I mean. Don't get me wrong, there is still togetherness in Atlanta. I've been there, I know, we've seen it, you know, but I feel like there just needs to be a notch or two higher, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that Whereas, makes Yeah. So your your final days with Atlanta, what, what happened? Um, Not much, really. I got a text from Carlos to say, can I give you a call? He gave me a call, said we trade you to Orlando. I said, okay, no problem. Um, I said, when? When am I going? Because like we've got a family here, you know. Right. It was my priority. And got a young family here. Um, when are we going? Like, how long do I have to be away from my family? Whatever, you know. I think like it wasn't. It was a. It wasn't a shock, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a huge shock. I mean, I, like I said before, I feel like. Football was it definitely made sense for me to get more minutes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, it's still difficult to play here. I feel like the MLS is full of it's full of really, really good players. You know, wherever you go, you're going to get talented players, and it's going to be hard to play. You know, but I felt like it, it made sense to to move away from Atlanta. Um, and yeah, he just called me and said, "Look, we've traded you." And I said, "Okay, um, thank me for." my time in Atlanta and stuff like that. And I, I think it was just after the US Open Cup game, I think, I can't remember, I think it was the, mm-hmm. I don't know which it was. So I felt like I performed well there and I felt like maybe then it would probably give me a little bit more opportunity at Atlanta, but obviously that wasn't the case. And I ended up moving on to Orlando and football boys. I'm definitely glad that that happened. Yeah, yeah. Had you asked for a trade? Had they told you they were considering trading you? No, no, nothing. Out of the blue, dog. Out of mm. just literally phone call, bang, you're gone. Okay, sweet. Let's go. You know, we like that. Yeah. yeah. That's a tough, that's a tough way to find out. Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm, I'm 26 now, you know, dog. I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not a kid. Right. If, if I was, I could deal with it, you know, my, like I said, my main priority was my family. So as long as I got that sorted, like, we move on, you know, that's football. It's a cutthroat sport, as right. you know. Um, so it is what it is. So y'all are Orlando, being y'all, not Atlanta United, are <laughs> in uh, fifth place in the East. Mm-hmm. You are th- just three points from getting a, uh, a a good playoff spot from fourth. Can this team, can this team catch NYCFC, do you think? And I think mm, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I feel like in this in this league, any team beats anybody really on that day. If someone shows up and someone doesn't, I, like I said, the league's full of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel like we could. I, why not? I mean, we're four games on the trot now. Mm-hmm. Back-to-back wins. Um, some big, big games. Like like we said, New York FC, we beat, we beat Charlotte away. We beat Seattle. Um, beat New York away, which is always... Um, a really, really tough game. So I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like I said to you, to get the togetherness in this team is something I haven't really experienced in football yet. So I mean, 
with that kind of togetherness and the talent we have around the team as well. I mean, absolutely, yeah. Maybe it's the heat. Maybe it's the heat and humidity that's bringing you all together. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And then, you, of course, got another game against Atlanta United mm-hmm. on September 14th at Exploria Stadium. That's at 6 p.m. on Valley Sports South. I know you've already faced them once this season, but is there anything special about facing them again? Or, as you said, you're 26. This is kind of old hat at this point. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean – it's another, it's another game of football. It's nice to see the lads. I got on really well with some of the lads at Atlantic. Um, so it's always nice to say hello, you know. But other than that, as soon as the whistle goes, it's, it's right. game on, you know. It's it's as simple as that. So what's next for you? Uh, I, I, don't, you know, I don't know your contract situation. Are you still under contract next season? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, you- I mean – I don't. I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, anything could happen. I'm, you, you can never tell the future. But I don't. I don't know. I've still got a year in my contract, so I just have to wait and see what happens in when the season's done. Really. But you're enjoying MLS. I mean, is it a league that you want to stay in, or, or are you just kind of you're well, you're open to go anywhere? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I really like the MLS. You know, um, but like I said, my family is my priority. If mm-hmm. if something. <laughs> happens with my family then only god knows you know i i, I don't know um but so far i'm just i'm not even really thinking about that at the moment i'm just carrying on gotcha um with this season it, hopefully it can end a positive season with orlando are you still in touch with anton Watts? i know y'all were good buddies yeah and y'all were with atlanta united yeah <laughs> yeah i spoke to anton last week when we played charlotte um we speak pretty regularly on the phone yeah Good, um, good. I keep in contact with a couple of lads at Atlanta. There's some really good lads at Atlanta. I imagine they're going to be hitting you up in the off season for uh, to come down and play some golf in Florida. I don't know if you golf or not. No, I'm not a golfer, dog. I'm terrible at golf. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean you're not a golfer. Everybody's terrible at golf. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, everybody is. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I know everywhere I drive here, though, there's a golf course. So I'm sure someone will probably. Will probably uh, drop me a text. There you go. You can take Anton out and beat his butt at golf. How about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I appreciate the time, Jake, and uh, I wish y'all luck in the U.S. Open Cup, and I wish you luck with the rest of the season. Not and really hopefully, I'll be uh, able to travel to Orlando. Good over here. Hello to you. Okay, good to see you. All right. I again want to thank Orlando for hooking me up with Jake, and I wish him luck in the upcoming U.S. Open Cup game. That will be next week. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. We're going to hit one more break and then come back with the mailbag. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. I want to remind you again that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. 
So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. All right, let's go to the mailbag. The first is a voicemail from John from Druid Hills. Don't forget about our podcast hotline number, 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Hey, Doug, I just want to ask you, is it finally time to, uh, to sit Rocco? The dude is just too short. Uh, at least two of the goals tonight could have been stopped by someone who had another four to five inches on them. Um, is it time? Because, yes, it is time. That it, I don't mean that as a question. I mean that as a statement. And talking about Rocco Rios Novo's stature compared to Raul Godinho, who's a much larger person, just because you're tall doesn't mean you're going to be able to get the ball. It also depends upon your reaction time, your quickness, your ability to spread out. So I don't know if Godinho would have gotten to the first goal or the third goal, but I guess you're right in that it is time to give him a run and see what he has to do or see what he can do. Lance says, I know you've talked about it in the past, but please explain the idea behind Ronaldo Cisneros starting. We have scored six goals in the past three matches and five have been by defenders. Well, I would remind that Cisneros is still tied for the team lead with seven goals. So if he doesn't start and the team doesn't score, there's a chance y'all going to say, why isn't Cisneros starting? He's tied for the team leading goals. Pineda doesn't put the guys out there hoping that they won't score. Cisneros has to get service, and he doesn't get service. It's that simple. Joseph doesn't get a lot of service. I was trying to find Cisneros' touches here real quick. He had... Last night, in 61 minutes, 18 touches, 14 passes, 13 accurate passes. Six passes in the final third, one dribble completed, one tackle. I mean, the team did nothing on offense in the second half. I think he put one shot on goal in the second half. He's got to get service. It's as simple as that. His speed is supposed to stretch back lines. I can understand why Pineda started him against Philadelphia because he thought Philadelphia was going to press, and they did. But if balls aren't hit behind, it doesn't matter. On to Chance, friend of the podcast, <clears throat> with another statement about Rocco. I understand from a club perspective why we start Rocco, Chance says. It is much more beneficial to the club to start and build our own player with experience to either sell or keep rather than play the loney who we lose at the end of the season. Well, I believe that Rios Novo is also on loan. Although I do believe we should keep starting him. How many more maybe he should have saved that do we allow before we look at the veteran Godinho. I like Rocco, but I do in a country where traditionally goalkeepers are our best position. I have a hard time expecting less than excellence. Also, another defender scored for us. It's starting to look like a trend. Do our defenders have better attacking instincts than our attackers? Thank you for your work. Well, I think the defenders are scoring because they're getting on the end of these set pieces and these crosses, and none of Atlanta United's attacking players this season have shown a consistent ability to do that. Joseph did in the last game, but he was left unmarked by DC United. He was wide open in the box. But Arahujo, Almada, Joseph, Moreno coming off the bench. Not a lot's happening there. It's just, I mean, Almada's creating assists, but there's just not a lot of goals. And um, I'm kind of at a loss to understand why, but I know y'all are frustrated. I wish I had answers for you. Ed says, how is it defending quarter kicks is not getting better? Seriously, what are they doing during the week? Yeah, I don't know, my man. 
again, 12th set piece goal allowed, corner kick last night. Michael Lutere was left open at the back post. Ball came to him. He took a shot. It bounced off of Santiago Sosa's arm and into the goal. Santiago Sosa actually had two handballs last night. The fourth goal was first blocked by his arm before it went to uh, the goal scorer, a homegrown for Philadelphia, whose name escapes me right now. I, I don't know why they can't defend corners. They've played with two center backs. They played with three center backs. You can't put four out there. I don't. I don't know. Again, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. Nick says, friend of the podcast. Hi, Doug. I hope you're feeling better and will test negative soon. Me too. I had accepted that last night's game would probably be a loss, so I'm more disappointed in how we got there rather than anything else. It's like a dad saying, "I'm not mad. I'm disappointed." <laughs> anyway, my question is about Brooks Lennon. What does his future hold? I don't know. He, when Atlanta United picked him up or traded for him, they gave him a new contract. They have an option, I believe, on his contract at the end of the season. I have to assume they will exercise it. I thought Aiden McFadden played well in Lennon's stead, but now McFadden isn't playing anymore. Ronald Hernandez is an okay player, but Lennon is still one of the leaders in crosses and chances created. So I think they will bring him back. David, with a very simple, it seems like we can never play a full 90. Yep. I agree, my man. I can't remember this team playing a full 90 this season. I'm trying to remember this team the last time I can remember it ever playing a full 90. Uh, Maybe at DC United, back under Steven Glass? Maybe? It's been a long time, too long of a time. I just got a DM from a a friend saying that Dickerson, the referee from two games ago, or not three games ago, once again, no assignments. That's two consecutive weeks with no assignments. He may be on vacation, who knows, or he got punished. Back to Henry. Do we get bonus points for not losing six to nothing? No, but good, good thought. How concerning is it that Atlanta's premium attacking players have been seriously quiet as of late? Five of the seven goals scored in the last four games have come from defenders or Santiago Sosa. They're creating opportunities, but does any of this matter if they can't put it in? Nope, it doesn't. Rocco did not have a great game. I don't blame him for every goal, but there were certainly a couple of instances where he had to do better. Is it time for Godinho? I think you will see Godinho at Portland. A lot of these defensive errors seem to be coming from a lack of communication. Rocco doesn't communicate effectively with Franco, tries to claim a ball, and gets caught out. Sosa and Gutman had a brain fart moment leading up to that same goal where they didn't know who would take the ball and had it stolen. Are they just not communicating, or is there some sort of barrier? I think they're just going through an awful, awful run of bad luck, bad play, and bad results. I don't know how else to, to put it. Will says, Hey Doug, I hope you're feeling better and firmly past COVID. Thanks, man. How can it be this bad for Atlanta United? The lack of talent, hustle, depth, on-field communication, chemistry, attacking ability, defense. It seems like everything is an issue. How does it get this bad across the board with the amount of resources dedicated to this team? It seems like Atlanta could be bad and at least have an identity on the field, but they look like a random collection of players. How does it even get to this point? Thanks for all your hard work. I really enjoy the podcast. Well, thank you, Will. Once again, I, I don't know. When you go through managers like Atlanta United went through, there is a cumulative effect, and it can take a long time to get things turned around. 
when the roster keeps getting turned over, as it has for the past couple of seasons, that also causes problems. Unless Atlanta United judges that the talent on the roster isn't quite good enough for next season, I don't think you're going to see a lot of turnover this season unless players decide they want out, in which case Atlanta United will likely do everything they can to accommodate them. The lack of an identity on the field, I, I do agree with you. I understand what Pineda is trying to do. I just don't see it consistently. You know, the team does did against Philadelphia dominate possession. It did create a lot of chances and it played well. But if you can't do it for 90 minutes, it just doesn't matter. And I do want to, about the hustle, I do want to point out that with the team losing three to one, Tiago Almada or Tiago Almada went on like a 60 yard sprint down the field from offense to defense to try to help break up a counterattack. He didn't have to do that, but he did. So I just thought I should point, point that out. A Money says, could Atlanta United inquire about Tata's availability once the World Cup ends in November? They could. I don't think they will. Apparently, at the end of the Mexico-Paraguay game last night, which was won by Paraguay, chants of fire Tata were ringing around Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Grant says, is it that teams cannot effectively prepare for the tactics Philadelphia uses in wearing you down and then countering so effectively? I have heard that Pep Guardiola's techniques are death by a thousand cuts. Were Philly just toying with Atlanta in the first half, or do you think they really felt some threat and discomfort from Atlanta at all? Don't worry, next time I will use the voicemail. I want to remind y'all again, the voicemail number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. No, I think Atlanta United was threatening Philly. I think Atlanta United played well in that first half. But as soon as they give up that second goal, everything just, they switched off, which we've seen a lot this season. And then Grant with another question, and this is a pretty interesting, well, it's not a question so much as a statement or a, a talking point. So talk amongst yourselves. Maybe this is a good story or maybe a good discussion for the pod, Grant says. But for your information about the drums that were there for the DC United game last week, it was really cool. A friend of mine sent video and it looked like a lot of fun and seemed to really liven up the atmosphere. Anyway. Grant says, I thought I'd seen a post on Twitter about the last match being HBCU Day. From the post, I thought the drumline was associated with that. I recently saw a national black commentator on YouTube on a popular soccer show talking about how cool it was that Atlanta was unique and that they market to the African-American community. About two years ago, I was in touch with one of the leaders of Footy Mob about bringing an HBCU step show and fraternity type chants to the supporter section. He said they actually had some cheers like that. Not sure if you know what I mean by step show style. I do. I think step shows are awesome. But anyway, he was like, yeah, that might be cool, but he didn't want me to pursue with the front office or other supporter group leaders. Anyway, LEFC supporter culture and presentation is out of this world. A popular opinion, we are just not as good as they are. What would be cool about doing HBU style and keeping the drum lines is that it reflect the culture of the city and be unique. Like it or not, Atlanta has evolved through migration and more than ever is now an African-American cultural center. I think that would be really, really cool. If you could get the guys on the capo stand, a couple of them, doing some step show stuff, that would be a lot of fun. So that's a really cool idea, Grant. Sean says, I am in the club section and we went to move tickets. What was available seemed less than last year. I would say between the two club sides of the field, there was only 100 available. We moved on Monday. Seems as though renewals might be high again. Josh says, Our fans have been called plastic, astroturf, but we keep showing up 
even with this injury-plagued atrocity of a season. I have seen a lot of online, I'm not renewing my tickets, talk, but when I logged on to look at seat relocation options, it was pretty sparse and I kept my original seats. Do Atlanta fans deserve some respect for our attendance numbers considering the team performance the last three seasons? Sure. And Josh continues, as much as I want Major League Soccer to spend five times as much for referees because they're incompetent, I want Atlanta United to spend to hire a Jim Curtin level coach. The second half looked like we got outcoached by a guy with much cheaper players. What say you? Jim Curtin is a very, very good coach. He's been there a very, very long time. Philadelphia has a very, very established model. Atlanta United is going to take a little bit longer. And Atlanta United eventually wants to get to develop homegrown players and play them like Philadelphia does. And they've done okay so far, considering this is only the sixth season. It would probably behoove them to consider doing it a little bit more because the young South Americans they're buying right now just aren't developing to be sold for profits. Ben says, Tonight was the most embarrassed I have felt being a supporter fan of any professional sports team. The Philadelphia supporters in my section, ones I typically sit with during union matches, were just flat out laughing about how awful Atlanta United have become. The team was totally dominated in the second half, and Rocco Rios Novo had a terrible performance. I'm not sure what Pineda was trying to accomplish with his lineup choices. Abara and Cisneros were both invisible. Arahujo needs a break. He's in a poor run of form and consistently making bad decisions. Unfortunately, with the, eats, with the results around the East tonight, this was not the nail in the coffin. This team needs to move on from this season. I hope you're feeling better and test negative in time to take a trip to Portland. Thanks, Ben. David says, thank you for your coverage despite struggling through COVID. It shows real dedication, and I look forward to your podcast every week. Well, thanks, David. And I wouldn't say I'm struggling. A lot of people have had it a lot worse than I have. I just can't seem to test negative for whatever reason. I appreciate that Rocco plays with swagger. This is David continuing. But frankly, Atlanta can't afford to continue to send so many players forward without a world-class goalkeeper to occasionally save their bacon. Even the best defenders find themselves out of position at times and need to be bailed out. That said, what do you think it would take for Pineda to start Godinho this year outside of Rocco getting injured or red-carded? I think you'll see him against Portland. Greg says, do MLS teams value a high draft pick in the super draft, either to select a player or trade for allocation money? No, they do not. They do the opposite of that. After tonight, I'm convinced this team cannot make a serious run, even if they make the playoffs with Rocco Rios, Novo, and goal. Also, what are your thoughts on Arahujo? I have to call this season a disappointment with only three goals. Showing shades of Pitti Martinez as of late with shots 30 yards outside the box that sell into the stands. Yeah, uh, I thought Arahujo would be an MVP candidate before the season. Instead, it's been disappointing, not just for him, but most of the people on the team. He's, uh, I think, just trying too hard, to be honest with you. If he would just relax, if the whole team would just relax and trust their teammates and play off their teammates, things might be a little bit better. All right, and our last question comes from Adam. It's a three-parter. Well, I'm sure Philly's second goal was a factor in changing the flow of the match. It seems like Philly's change in tactics after the half were the bigger factor. Their pressure and work rate caused problems for which Atlanta had no answers. Atlanta's subs were ineffective, and the stripes play regressed to desperate long balls and reactive defending. How much of that was simply Philly's talent versus Atlanta's talent? or Curtin's coaching versus Pineda's. I don't think Philly has more talent. I just think they play better as a team. They have a clear understanding of what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. They've been doing it for a while, so they're able to execute. 
Atlanta hasn't had that luxury. Adam says, if you were the manager and Atlanta could replay the second half, what would you have done differently? I would have probably bought on, brought on Sadich for Abara. Abara was invisible to me in the first half. I would have kept the three center backs. Other than that, I don't know. It's all woulda, coulda, shoulda. I, I don't know. Surely by now, Dom Dwyer's value has regressed such that his early goals are all but forgotten. I'd trust McFadden to run as hard, but without getting cards and stifling the match play. Yeah, Dom Dwyer just seems like the first thing he wants to do when he gets in is get a yellow card for arguing with somebody. And it's gotten a little bit tiresome. All right, we're going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. We're not going to do one to preview Portland because hopefully I'll be on a plane. But we'll have one post-Portland. I don't know if it'll be Sunday night or Monday afternoon. But hope all of you have a great Labor Day. I hope you have fun. And as always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.